you like to take your Bibles, our first Bible reading is from Daniel, and you can find that on page 894 in the Church Bibles. We're going to start Daniel chapter 9, the first three verses. So that's page 894. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, the Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And our next part reading is from Romans, and that's found on page 1134. So that's 1134, Romans chapter 8. Actually, it's probably 1135, because we're actually... But reading from verse 28 of chapter 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
prayers. Let's um, pray this evening as we begin. Father God, we thank you so much that we can gather here this evening as your people. And we do pray that you'd help us as we think about this um, difficult question, uh, a complex issue, that you'd help us, you'd give us understanding and you'd give us uh, real insight into your words uh, that really challenges us and helps us and equips us as your people dependent on you in prayer. Amen. Amen. Just lost the book of Daniel. Good. Well, does prayer change anything? Does prayer change anything? I suspect if I asked you that question, I would be overwhelmed by the response of in the affirmative. Yes, of course it does. Of course it does. And I suspect if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you could give me example after example of the way God has answered your prayers. Perhaps in really wonderful, uh, you might even say miraculous circumstances. Perhaps you're only here this evening because of the prayers of a friend. Perhaps you've been in very difficult, tough situations and you've prayed. And you've seen God answer those prayers in ways that you could never have predicted, never have imagined. But then someone says to you, yeah, but hasn't God as the sovereign one planned all things? from the beginning to the end. Isn't he in control of everything? And if that's true, then what does prayer change? Do we change God's mind? It's a good question, isn't it? If God is sovereignly in control, if he really has marked out the end from the beginning, then why bother praying? What's the point? God's just going to get on and do it anyway. For that reason, some people have suggested that prayer uh, is actually more about our experience. So prayer is for our benefit. It helps us to uh, emotionally and psychologically deal with the world in which we find us. It keeps us dependent on God. Prayer doesn't really do anything. It's apart from bringing us benefit. I don't know what you think about that. And then, of course, there's another massive question, isn't there, that if God really is in control... Why doesn't he answer my prayers? Our task this evening is very simple. We're going to try and answer those questions in 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in order to do that, I hope you don't mind if we jump around the Bible a little bit this evening. Um, We're going to look at a few different verses. We're going to focus on Daniel and Romans, but we're going to go to all sorts of places. So the first question then is this. What's the point? Why pray if God is sovereign? Now, to answer that question, I think we need to affirm two things. Two things go hand in hand. The first is this. God is sovereignly working out his plans. Nothing is outside of his control or his ordaining. He's planned everything. Here's some verses that talk about that. This is Acts 4, 27-28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The Bible holds Pilate and mainly Herod and others responsible for Jesus' death, but they were just doing what God had for plans. 
What about uh, Proverbs 16, 9? In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Or 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Even which way a die lands is part of God's sovereign plan for his world. Or Ephesians 1.11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, everything, in conformity with his will, with the purpose of his will. These are big, big verses, and I know people have different opinions on this, and one thing we need to do is to walk the line of Scripture. And Scripture seems to say here that actually God plans everything. Nothing that happens in this world is outside of his plans. Now that has a massive implication for our prayers, doesn't it? If, if that's true, then in prayer we, we don't change God's mind. Uh, can you imagine that um, one day I'm, I'm praying to God and I'm talking about something and, and suddenly it's as if God has a light bulb moment and he suddenly realises that Tim in Basingstoke's plan for the future is better than the plan that he had all along. Why didn't he think of that? And so he changes his mind. So of course that's not what God does. We never come up with a better alternative, you know, one that God hadn't thought of. No, God's perfect plan, his will, will be worked out from the beginning to the end. We don't change his mind. And also, I think the question is this, would you really want to worship a God whose mind you could change? What if God could change his mind about some of the other things he said in the Bible? How could we ever be certain or sure of the promises that God has made? How could we ever fully trust him? See, God is sovereignly working out his plans from the beginning to the end, and that is a, it's a big thing, there's questions about that, but it's a good thing in the Bible terms. It's a wonderful thing. But here's the secondly, God is sovereignly working out his plans. The second thing is this, our prayers make a difference. So look at 2 Corinthians 1. 10 to 11. Paul says, He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul's utterly convinced that the prayers of the people in Corinth are going to help him. They're going to make a difference. Or James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask God. I remember back to the first week in the series on prayer. From Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then a little later on, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And we said, didn't we, right in that first week, we said, look, God is the generous Father who longs, who delights to answer the prayers of his children. God is sovereignly working out his plans. And our prayers make a difference. 
And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can those statements both be true? Because that's the question, isn't it? How can both those things be true? And the reality is that we will struggle to put those two things together because God is transcendent. That means God is not like us. God is outside. He transcends time and space. We are limited. We are limited in what we can know of God. He's transcendent wonderfully for us. God is also personal. He deals with us personally in time and space. But that means that we'll only ever be able to know God through that personal relationship. We can know him truly, but we can't know him exhaustively. So as Don Carson says, the scriptures tell us this. He is utterly, God is utterly sovereign over the created order. Yet he is nothing less than damn personal as he deals with me. Sometimes it's more important to worship such a God than understand him. Now some of you will feel a bit dissatisfied with that. These two things, I want to know, well I just don't think we can. So we have to walk the line of scripture holding in tension what Scripture keeps in tension. Our God is sovereignly working out his plans. Our prayers make a difference. So where, where does that leave us? Well, when it comes to prayer, I think that leaves us here. God has sovereignly ordained to respond to our prayers in accomplishing his good plans and purposes. Some, uh, a friend of mine from university, one of my ushers when I got married, um, uh, he and his wife were pregnant. And uh, at 17 weeks, uh, his wife had a, um, her waters broke. That's not good news at 17 weeks. So basically, she was confined to bed rest for the rest of the pregnancy. And the doctors told them they should just uh, abort. But because they were Christians and they um, believed in the value of life, they didn't want to do that. And uh, little baby Jack, they set up a little Facebook group, and there's lots of people praying for Jack. And Jack was born at 27 weeks old. And uh, it was amazing, really, to see the number of people praying for baby Jack. And wonderfully, he survived. There were several points where they thought he was going to lose him, but wonderfully, God preserved his life. Now, what was going on there? Was it God's plan to always save Jack? Yes. But did God save Jack in response to the people's, his people's prayers? Did our prayers make a difference? Yes. Did the doctors save Jack's life as well? Yes. It's yes, yes, and yes. God has sovereignly ordained to respond to our prayers in in accomplishing his good plans and purposes. If you remember last week, we were thinking about the Holy Spirit, weren't we? And we're saying that actually the only reason we even pray is because the Holy Spirit moves us to pray. Without the Spirit, we wouldn't pray to God as Father. Um, If you really want to look into this issue, Don Carson's got a book called The Call to Spiritual Reformation, and there's a great chapter. It's quite hard going. There's a great chapter on this whole issue that we're thinking about this evening. And uh, this is a quote from that. He says, If I pray aright, 
God is graciously working out his purposes in me and through me. And the praying, though mine, is simultaneously the fruit of God's powerful work in me through his Spirit. By this God-appointed means, I become an instrument to bring about a God-appointed end. Okay, so let that sink in. So God has sovereignly ordained to respond to our prayers. He moves us to pray in the first place. And through our prayers, he, has, he will accomplish his good plans and purposes. So we should pray. Daniel chapter 9 is a great example of this. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. It's a, it's a wonderful prayer, actually. I mean, it'd be great to spend a whole evening just looking at the way Daniel prays and the thing he says. Verse 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Medebite sent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel's in Babylon. God's people have been um, exiled. And in Jeremiah 25, verse 11, God says, your exile in Babylon will last 70 years. And Daniel, reading God's words, sees that and realises that. So what does he do? Does he just let go and bask in the knowledge that God is going to bring his people back? That God's got his plan, he's said he's going to do it, he's faithful to his promises, so just waits. No, 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 that's not what Daniel does, is it? He prays. Look at verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. This is heartfelt, passionate prayer, isn't it? He prays on behalf of the people. He confesses their sin. He repents and appeals to God's promises. Daniel's knowledge of God's promises doesn't drive him away from prayer. It drives him to pray. Why pray? What, what's the point in praying if God is sovereign? Well, what, because Daniel only knows God's plans personally not exhaustively. And so he comes before his gracious father and he prays that God would fulfill what he has promised. So for Daniel, God's sovereignty isn't a barrier to prayer, it is a spur to prayer. Now look, it's not going to answer all the questions tonight, you might still have them, but just think of this whole question a different way. What would be the point in praying to God if he wasn't completely sovereign? As you think about the stuff you've prayed for this week, your family, the stuff at school, your friends, work, future, health issues, how would you feel about praying to a God who wasn't actually fully in control of those issues? What if the thing you wanted to ask God was the thing that was beyond his control? The thing he couldn't actually help you with? Why pray if God's sovereign? Well, why bother praying if he's not? Why bother praying to someone who can't help you? 
See, Daniel realized that God's sovereignty is a truth that drives us to our knees in prayer and doesn't stop us praying. God has sovereignly ordained to respond to our prayers and accomplishing his good purposes and plans. But then that makes another massive question, doesn't it? And it's this. If that's true, if God is sovereign, then why doesn't he answer my prayers? And I suspect that some of you in this room will know the pain and heartbreak of unanswered prayers. For years you've prayed for your children to come back to the Lord. And they haven't. You've prayed for your your friends and family to come to know Jesus and they have stubbornly and persistently declined. Perhaps they've even died without faith. You've prayed for years for freedom from pain, freedom from illness. You've prayed for clarity about your future, about where you should be and what you should be doing. You've prayed for victory over that sin, that battle that has played you your entire Christian life. And yet it keeps its vice-like grip on you. And you think, why doesn't God answer my prayers? If he's good and he's sovereign, he really is in control, then why doesn't he answer my prayers? Well, I think there's three reasons for that. And the third one's the main one I want to focus on, but I just want to say these other two things in passing, and they're perhaps slightly harder to hear. In the Bible, there are two groups of people that God doesn't necessarily listen to when they pray. And the first is those who cherish and are unrepentant about sin against God or others. Psalm 66, verse 18, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. See, if we live with unrepentant sin in our hearts, then we distance ourselves from God. God doesn't go anywhere, but we do. We move away from him. And in not answering our prayers, God isn't punishing us because our punishment has been taken in Christ. Jesus dealt with that. Instead, God graciously doesn't listen in order to encourage us to return to him, to come back to him. The second reason, the second group of people that uh, God sometimes doesn't answer the prayers of, he doesn't listen to, is those who pray with the wrong motives. James 4, 2 to 3, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God promises to answer our prayers when they're in his name and for his glory, which is why it's a wonderful thing to pray with your Bible open so that your prayers are shaped by Scripture, so that what Scripture guides and shapes our thinking, it it fuels our prayers. And our prayers over time become more in line with God's character and nature. There are two groups of people that God sometimes says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. But I suspect that for many of us struggling with this issue of unanswered prayers, that's not you. You live in repentance and faith. You're not perfect, of course you're not, but you live in repentance and faith. And your motives, well, they're not perfect, because none of us are, but generally you do pray for God's glory, not your own. 
And so you're still left with this question, why doesn't this sovereign God answer my prayers? And again, I'm going to leave you frustrated this evening because the Bible doesn't tell you all the answers to that question. For God is transcendent. He is outside space and time and we are not. We are personal. But what we can know is this, that God's plans are good and that God's plans are better than ours because God is working out his good plans for the good of those who love him. Just look at Romans 8, verse 28. Just flick on. It's page 1135. This is where we finished last week, isn't it? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. All things God works for the good of those who love him. It's probably an appropriate uh, day to read this poem. This is a poem that was um, apparently found on the uh, the body of a soldier killed at the Battle of Gettysburg during the American Civil War. It said this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but got everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most richly blessed. We long for God to answer our prayers. And he delights to answer the prayers of his children because that is his nature as a loving father. But the way he answers them might not be how we hoped. And with our limited knowledge, they might not feel very good for us. And I'm sure many of you can associate with that. But God loves you like he loves his son. And he always answers for the good of his people and his glory. You see, verse 29, God has good plans for his people. He will bring them, there's this journey, isn't it? He will bring them to glory. And there is no greater good that God can do than to bring you, a miserable wretch, to glory. It might just be that God allows you to continue in weakness. Like Paul, he had the thorn in his flesh, didn't he? 
that God didn't take away despite Paul asking for it to be removed. It might be through our struggles that we learn to grow in trust and patience and godliness and perseverance. We've been thinking about that this weekend in Job. It might be that through our struggles, God's power is made known in our weakness. And it might be that we never know what, God, what good God is working in and through us. We might never see it, but we must trust that he is, because he's good. Here's a, um, a testimony of uh, a friend of mine at UCCF, who's a colleague of mine. Uh, this is what he said. He said, I prayed for my mum to be healed of cancer, and God didn't answer my prayer. It was the hardest thing I've ever experienced. It was awful enough watching the cancer eat away at her over the months. But what hit me after she died? The grief. I didn't know that it was possible to feel such dark, empty blackness. I'm not thankful for death. And Jesus rages against death. But what I am thankful for is that now I know Jesus better. He changed me. I, I don't really know how, but I was different. Maybe grief showed me I'm not so strong and taught me something more of how much I need him. I'm so thankful for that. Suffering is not good. God hates sin and suffering, and one day he will put it to death for good. But God is good, and God's plans are always good. And if we look hard enough, even in the darkness, the most black of darkness, we'll see shards of light, shards of God's goodness even in the prayers that were never answered as we hoped. Why doesn't God answer our prayers? He's the sovereign God is in control because his plans are better than ours. God is working out his good plans for the good of those who love him. And so now the challenge for us is to, is to live as those who know that God's sovereignty means there is a greater story being told on the pages of this world. Uh, Paul Miller, um, in his book, A Praying Life, contrasts the attitude of those who live in this world without a greater story and those who live with. He says, if we don't have a story, this is how we end up when we face struggle and we face unanswered prayers. We can feel bitter and angry and aimless and cynical, controlling, hopeless, thankless, blaming. There's no hope. But when we know that, when we know our place in God's biggest story, when we know that God does the, all things for the good of his people, and that our hopes one day will be fulfilled in glory, then we know the bigger story. And so we can be those people who wait and watch and wonder and pray and submit and hope with thankfulness 
unrepentance. So in the midst of unanswered prayers and pain and suffering, that doesn't mean, that right-hand column, doesn't mean you can't pour out your frustration and pain to God. We looked at Job 3 this weekend. My goodness, read that prayer and you'll feel uncomfortable that it's allowed in the Bible. Job pours out his frustration at how God has treated him. The Psalms of the psalm book that allow us to express those things. But as we express those things, we can know, we can cling, cling to the truth that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him. And so we can continue to pray. Let's finish with Romans 8. Look what Romans 8 reminds us of. See, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33 and 34. What charge can be brought against those whom God has chosen? What charge can be made against those that Jesus has died for and now intercedes for? That was week two, wasn't it, of the series? Verse 35, there is now nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's only as we remember those truths that we'll begin to cope in a fallen world struggling with unanswered prayers. And it's as we remember those verses you can be assured you have a Father who delights to hear your prayers. And a Father that loves you like he loves his Son. And so he will no less work out his good plans for you than he would for his Son. For you are part of a greater story of hope and glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to think about this difficult issue. An issue that we just can't really fully get our minds around. But we thank you for the reminder that you love us like you love your son. And we pray that as we head into uh, this time of the Lord's Supper, we pray that as we eat bread and drink wine, you would speak to us again of the love, the extent of the love that you have for us. So that in the midst of frustration and pain, of prayers not answered how we hoped, we would know your good and perfect plans for our life. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>